Hello everyone, this is your brief reminder that this conversation was recorded a couple of years ago and so may in some ways be a little bit out of date, though I think we're mostly pretty good on this one. I did want to apologize for some recording issues we had during this episode. My channel in particular is pretty fuzzy as you'll hear throughout. There are times it gets better, but I appreciate you sticking with it. If you really don't want to and you just want to get right to the next episode, well, it's available for you on Patreon at patreon.com slash ffweekly. And if you're looking for more content on video games not related to Final Fantasy or sometimes related to maybe comic book movies, Star Wars, professional wrestling, doing a whole bunch of fun stuff over on patreon.com slash DC Productions. Without further ado, here's the show. Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Kreisman. And I am Ira Kreisman. And on this episode, we'll be discussing the art and gameplay of Final Fantasy V. As with most games, the original art, the sketches for all of the characters and designs were done by Yoshitaka Amano, though there is a name that it is honestly, and, and quite frankly, a huge oversight on our part that we have not yet included in the conversation. The person responsible for taking those sketches and turning them into gorgeous 2D pixelated art, Kazuko Shibuya. Uh, she needs to be a much bigger part of the conversation, and she's going to be moving forward. And the gameplay was designed by Hironobu Sakaguchi and Hiroyoku Ito, the people responsible for the designs of the games up to this point, also with Ken Narada along assisting them. Our core group of Final Fantasy creators at this point, the group would grow over the next game, but still we've got a pretty uh, small and centralized cast of characters, if you will, creating Final Fantasy V. And figured we'd start with the art and get into the gameplay later, since there will probably be more to say about the latter. We've discussed throughout our conversation on this game uh, some of the most memorable elements of it that I think come right out of the artwork, which is that it's whimsical and we've oftentimes used the word colorful, more colorful than the other games, and that comes through in its palette. Uh, you don't have the muted tones we would come to know this series for, and you don't have the more ethereal or ephemeral tones that we talked about in Final Fantasy IV. There's a lot of bright colors that are maybe a bit more reminiscent of anime or children's cartoons, which again we've talked about the fairy tale element, uh, but very purposefully designed to be inviting in that way. Yoshitaka Amano has always been known for his character designs, and these are some of the ones that stand out the most of his pieces. In fact, there's really one other piece from Final Fantasy V that stands out beyond his character sketches, and that's unusual for him because there are, typically are a lot more in any given game. But we talked a lot about X-Death in our final episode, and that's probably the most famous and most alluring character 
design. Uh, we mentioned how he's in a lot of light blues, but incredibly ornate and impressive and still imposing despite the lighter color palette that uh, his armor invokes medieval times, but also something very futuristic. He's a cross between Darth Vader and uh, a medieval knight, and that's an interesting element to him. As we said in the last episode, he's he's meant to be the sorcerer, and I tend to think of sorcerers as being Gandalf-like or Dumbledore-like. They, they wear robes. And X-Death has uh, a cape, and he's got these sort of uh, robe-like skirts about his legs, but he's got that heavy armor also, which is just so strange to me, or, or was at the time. Uh, it was peculiar to me because I did not expect mages, sorcerers, wizards to be wearing armor. Uh, I think his is a design that really does stand that test of time. We were talking about Final Fantasy V's legacy. X-Death, there's no mistaking X-Death for any other character. Whereas some of the uh, the hero characters, I feel like it could be easy to mistake them for other characters. X-Death is X-Death. There's, he, he is certainly iconic. Absolutely, and one of the things I think is interesting is the character in the rest of the series that I think most resembles him just from a visual standpoint is probably Gogo from Final Fantasy VI with all of the, you mentioned the flowing robes. His are orange and red and yellow as opposed to blue and black and white, but that's what's so interesting about the X-Death character uh, is that there's this mechanized, faceless element to him, but there's also this other part of it. Now, and, and then he turns into a tree. Right. And, and, and that's actually a really interesting piece of pixel art, one of the craziest one. what he turns into, his final form in the game, kind of unnerving and, and disturbing piece of artwork there. The other character I feel is especially iconic out of Final Fantasy V for the character design is Gilgamesh. You talked about how X-Death reminds you of Gogo. Well, for me, Gilgamesh reminds me of Gogo because of the same color palette, the reds and oranges and the stripes and the polka dots and whatnot. Gilgamesh is also a character who could only ever be Gilgamesh. You don't look at that character as a fan of Final Fantasy and wonder who he is, you know, wonder who, who he might be. He's just such a, an interesting character design. I think he is meant to, and I'm not an expert in Japanese culture or Japanese theater, but I get the impression he is meant to be designed after theater depictions of samurai because he's very bright and colorful and has all these patterns on him stripes and and polka dots lots of scarfs and fluttery bits and yet clearly he is well armed and armored and is a combatant you know it's interesting we've talked a lot throughout the course of this game about how the main cast of characters maybe is a little less nuanced than in the rest of the games. And as I'm looking at the Amano art, we see the main characters, Bartz and Lena. Ferris has a little more. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But they're mostly, you could almost mistake them for being black and white sketches. There's not. There's some color in there. He's got a light blue. But they look like you said, kind of a traditional hero. You could mistake them for a hero in any other kind of fantasy fair. But these sketches of Gilgamesh and X-Death really pop. And it's a weird... I have no idea what the reason for this is, but 
it's oftentimes the case throughout Final Fantasy that the villains are given a bit more detail in their character artwork. Uh, sometimes in the there's like an actual reason for it from a technological standpoint. When you're in battle, you had to have four smaller sprites be your characters where you could be just fighting one gigantic X-Death, and so you could have it be uh, a bit more detailed. But it's regularly the case that we talked about it in Final Fantasy I, one of the most famous sketches, the villain absolutely dwarfs our heroes. And it's more of a metaphorical dwarfing of the heroes because X-Death and Gilgamesh are by far the more memorable character designs, with the possible exception of Ferris. Ferris does get a good design, uh, a good Amano design specifically. She's got the, the long pirate cloak coat, cloak coat thing. Got the long hair. Again, more sashes and patterns, lots of different colors. There is one depiction. My, my favorite piece, which I'm sure we'll talk about more here in a bit, shows her as, uh, as standing very regally, even though she renounces her regal status. Uh, but yeah, Ferris just ends up looking extraordinarily competent in this particular Amano design. And I also think it's an interesting example and one that people don't talk about enough. Oftentimes, Amano or Tetsuya Nomura or anime or Japanese artists in general have been accused of making effeminate or androgynous male characters. But this is a character that begins out as an androgynous female character and in her design, you could see how her long hair might look more masculine if done just the right way. And you can see how her pirate robes might look more masculine in just the right way or more feminine. And it's a great balance of those two things because it challenges the very notion of what is masculine and feminine. And rather than it having been a, a male character who's a bit more in touch with their feelings and some people might say resembles Meg Ryan or something, <laughs> Final Fantasy huh. X, you've got... Uh, I, and again, this is a character... I would love to see an actor with a great deal of skill get a hold of this Ferris character and see if you can pull off... It's something that's done in Game of Thrones as a character has to act like a boy for a while and try to pull off being a boy. And I, I'd love to see this done... Because, like I was saying, it almost always goes the other way. Gullif, the king of Baal, has... Uh, the piece I'm looking at shows him standing up straight. He's in a, a black uniform with a quintessential Amano sword in his hands and a sort of shield-looking thing on his back. He's got the mustache. He's got the, he's got the almost crazy hair, the sort of crazy uncle hair as we've come to know it for Final Fantasy. I actually think his outfit in this... Oftentimes, Amano characters are wearing skin-tight outfits, but this one puts me in mind of sort of a, a spacesuit, a skin-tight spacesuit, which would be appropriate given he's using the meteor to travel to the other world. I think it is particularly interesting that the Amano artwork shows him in dark clothes with white hair and white mustache, whereas the pixel art has him uh, with bright orange hair and beard yeah i think those differences are always interesting to note and my guess would be without being able to investigate each one that 
you know, you're given a, a bit more limitations when you're dealing with the 2D pixelated art, and sometimes you need something to be a little bit more extreme in order to get your point across. Uh, for example, Terra in Final Fantasy VI, her pixel art, her hair is unmistakably green. And in many of the Amano sketches, because you could be more subtle with it, her hair is really, it's blonde, but it's got this glow about it, giving a hint to her magical heritage. Sure. So I, I think you might see something like that in this case. We've got a kooky older character as opposed to, I mean, it, not that he isn't wise and, and sage and all of those things, but he has, throughout most of the story, his role is a bit sillier, and I think it was smart of them in the artwork to drive that point home by giving him orange hair, which also kind of invokes uh, Sid sure. from Final Fantasy IV. So for me, Cryley, Bartz, and Lena all have, I don't think it's bad art by any means, um, I think it is, it's got that distinct Amano style, uh, a bit ethereal, a bit watercolory. Some Sometimes some bits are not quite finished, all of which I think is fantastic. But looking at a, looking at Goliath and Ferris, I know, I'm fairly certain I know who they are. Looking at uh, X-Death and Gilgamesh, absolutely, I know who those characters are from their designs. Looking at Cryley, I mean, I, I don't think it's bad. It, you know, it's got her in that sort of pink leotard with the knee-high boots and the, the half-gloves and the flowy hair and the, and the dangly cape. But nothing about that necessarily says to me, this is Cryley. In fact, if I didn't know it was her, I might mistake her for Lena. Bart's outfit of a sort of blue tunic and cape have, have become iconic in a way. But again... If I didn't know that was Bart's, I, I could mistake it for just about anybody else, maybe? That, I'm not quite saying it right. Yeah, no, his design is really not that different from Benjamin's, from Mystic Quest, or uh, a number of characters that you see in the Fire Emblem series, or throughout JRPGs in general. But I agree, I think the thing that makes his, the blue in particular, iconic is that Bart's, because of his personality, has found his way into the hearts of many of us, and he's lived on through other properties and spin-offs, and so it's just become this kind of iconic blue tunic that accompanies uh, a character who's bright and whimsical, and in those spin-offs is oftentimes around these characters who are dark and brooding and moody and wearing black and dark purple and black. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, very dark gray. But it's also interesting that you mentioned that because the last piece of Amano art that I wanted to talk about, really the classic image for me of his from this game, is a piece that depicts the four warriors of light after Galif has died, uh, standing at the edge of an airship. And it, there's a lot going on here. It's a great sketch. It's the first thing that comes up. I think it's telling of this game. If you Google Final Fantasy V Yoshitaka Mono, you actually get more stuff from Final Fantasy VI than you do from V. <laughs> and that tells you a little bit of something. But the first thing that comes up is this piece. And there's a lot of great stuff going on here that exemplifies, I think, everything we've said. Bartz is sitting at the head of the ship, kind of hunched over, looks a little bit like a 
slob. I don't know if I put it quite that well, way, but his blue kind of pops. He looks a little... How would you put it? I, I wouldn't say he's a slob so much as he's a little more relaxed than the rest of them. Or, or maybe he, there we go. He, he's a little more... I'm not sure what word I want to use. Chill. Sure. He's showing more chill than the others. Lena and Kryley are, as we've kind of discussed, you can't really tell which one is which, and they both kind of fade into the background. The white of their skin and of their clothing fades into the white sky behind them, which I think is a really interesting visual, but it also is a reminder that the female characters in this game were not as well fleshed out as female characters in other games. With the exception of the person standing right behind them, you you used the word regal earlier in a stance of absolute confidence and power, is Ferris, the only one of them wearing any black, hair blowing in the wind, robes blowing in the wind, uh, captaining a ship where she would be most comfortable. There are some wind drakes, I believe, in the background there, and uh, clouds, and, and, and there's something very captivating about this one image, and I, I think it sums up a lot of you know, what this game is really about. It's about these four people, plus Gallif in there, um, who's not in the picture, but on this forward-moving adventure... last thing I wanted to mention, and this doesn't quite technically fit into the art category, but as we've been talking about some of the things that are odd and, and different, I went back and listened to our first episode on this game and realized I didn't explain very well the Bart's situation or talk about Lena's name, but the way Bart's is spelled in Japanese is Batsu, and so that's where the mistranslation would have come from. I would expect that they were actually initially trying to spell just the name Bart, an American name that would have sounded more exotic to them, much as we know Tina became Terra because Tina is more exotic in Japanese. And Lena has also oftentimes also been translated as Reina because, again, those two things would be spelled exactly the same. So just more nuances to these characters that themselves are <laughs> it's almost like the stuff surrounding them is just as interesting as the characters themselves. So we have talked before about how the Amano artwork really does not translate very well to pixel art. I mean, it does for the bad guys because, like you were saying, they get to be bigger on the screen and the heroes have to be these little sprites and have to be able to go through these uh, little animations. And several episodes ago, we were talking about, you know, if we could ever figure out who the person was, who had that job of translating the Amano artwork into pixels, we should make sure to mention it. Well, I mentioned last episode the Final Fantasy V book from the Boss Fight Books series by Chris Kohler, and I was able to read about who did it, at least for this game. The impression I get is this person did it for multiple games. But I just want to read about a page here from Mr. Kohler's book. 
The task of translating Yoshitaka Amano's minutely detailed paintings into tiny pixel art went to Square's in-house artists, chief among them Kazuko Shibuya. As one of the only women on the Final Fantasy team, hell, as one of the only women making video games in the early 1990s, Shibuya was an integral part of the crew from its early days, joining in the pre-Famicom era and doing anime-style illustration for PC games like Alpha and Cruise Chaser Blasting. It was Amano's art that defined Final Fantasy's marketing, but it was Shibuya's signature pixel art style that largely defined the contours of the game itself. And the decision to have five characters that could each wear the outfits of 20 different jobs meant tons of pixels had to be drawn. And now he's quoting uh, Shibuya directly. There were two of us working on the jobs, but we had to do everything for them, including the designs. It was insanely difficult, Shibuya said in a 2013 interview. I remember doing a magazine interview with Sakaguchi about Final Fantasy V and saying, with some exasperation, there were too many damn jobs! With three exclamation points. Shibuya worked for a year straight simply drawing the main character's battle artwork, she said. So that is a huge task to take this beautiful Amano artwork and make it work in a video game. And then specifically because there were so many jobs, we talked about in Final Fantasy III, the remake specifically, how we had these different characters and how certain aspects of the character would translate over to each job. Well, they did it in Final Fantasy V first, the original Final Fantasy V. So when Galif is a monk, you can see his beard. And when he's a blue mage, you can see his beard. And when he's a summoner, you can see his beard. So they had to create for five different characters all these job costumes and animations and holy cow yeah that's something they didn't even pull off in final fantasy tactics which came out on the playstation when you change jobs in that game you look just everybody looks the same when they have any given job or if you're a main cast character your appearance doesn't change at all but i think it's absolutely fascinating that in a way this game works your reward for playing the game well and unleashing new classes other than hey you get to do other cool stuff and you get to mix and match and we'll talk about the fun of all that in a moment you're unlocking artwork and i think for most people especially at the time you know we live in an age now where you've got access the internet and youtube and all these different kind of podcasts like this hopefully give people access to all kinds of information and behind the scenes stuff and i do think yoshitaka amano was well known there were enough people who loved these games enough to search out that information and we knew certainly way back then that he was the artist responsible for the designs of these characters but most people who would just sit down and play these games would be far more familiar with the work of kazuko shibuya that, that would be their interaction with the game, unless they really went out seeking more information, is being familiar with her artwork. And plenty of people have fallen in love with the series because of the charm and the allure of her 2D pixelated art. And she may be responsible in those early days for as many of the early fans of the series as anybody. And that, perhaps transitions us into the gameplay of Final Fantasy V, which largely revolves around the job system.
so I thought I would, if you will allow, read off all the jobs from Final Fantasy V. I will allow this. <laughs> kind of set myself up for that. All right. Freelancer, knight, monk, thief, black mage, white mage, blue mage, red mage, time mage, summoner, berserker, mystic knight, mime, beastmaster, geomancer, ninja, ranger, bard, dragoon, dancer, samurai, chemist. And then with the later releases, we got another four. Necromancer, Cannoneer, Gladiator, and Oracle. And I gotta say, I'm not as familiar with those last four as I am with the rest. Yeah, me neither. So before we jump into some of the individual ones, I just wanted to note that just listening to that, you hear a great collection of a few jobs that have been around since the very first game. Black Mage, White Mage, Red Mage, Monk, stuff like that. Uh, A few new ones that would become staples in this series, and a few others that have arrived uh, throughout the years but what i think is really interesting about this is again the overall legacy of final fantasy 5 being tied into the rest of the games this is where every game past and future of final fantasy comes together in some of these designs and and just jobs and what the jobs do and where they come from and what they're about this is kind of the apex of all of that for example, we'd already seen what a Dragoon looks like with the design of Kane, but the fact that that particular character design was decided here, now that's what Dragoons look like. Forevermore, Final Fantasy had their base design for this very important element of their universe. Now, first, I want to make it clear that I am not an expert in the gameplay of Final Fantasy V. There are people who have figured out various ways to absolutely master this system, some of which were intended by the game designers, some of which I'm pretty sure were not. That said, I will uh, do my best to talk about what each job does, why it's interesting or maybe less interesting, maybe how it can be combined or or what it can do uh, in certain specific instances to, to make your characters super powerful, and so on and so forth. Yeah, if we were qualified to review video games, we would review video games. We're fans talking about a thing we like and parts of it that we like about it. <laughs> All right. So the freelancer job is the character's first job in the game. It's like kind of like being the Onion Kid from Final Fantasy III before the Onion Knight became a thing and, they, and it got its own sort of set of expectations. But it's just the characters in their regular clothing, Uh, It was referred to as Bear in the anthology release, or Normal, in one of the translations. Would be essentially the equivalent of the Squire in Final Fantasy Tactics. I'm not sure it's even that much, because it doesn't really get its own abilities. Oh, good point. Yeah, Squire has some pretty great stuff that you can learn. Yeah, throwing the rock. It is the same in that it's the base class that you start with. Right, right. Yeah. So... The most interesting thing about Freelancer is, one, it can equip anything. It can equip all armor and, and weapons and so on. And really, most people are going to be rid of it once they, once they have other classes they can use. But in a late addition to the game, as I understand it, they decided what if the Freelancer job or the Bear job got everything else as you, as you mastered your other classes. So... 
The freelancer learns every innate ability from every job the character has mastered, other than, I think, Berserker. So it just gets more and more powerful. And that is why the Onion Knight, the re-released Final Fantasy III, does the same thing, right? Is, is that what it does, or does it just get, like, stat increases? Yeah. I can't remember now. Yeah, it's a really cool concept. No, I'm pretty sure that that's how it works. It's like Peter Petrelli. Right, right. You, you gain all the abilities as you get better in your other classes. And I just think that's, that's fascinating. And, fu- again, Final Fantasy did it first. And there's this... Okay, I'm going to have to look it up, because I didn't know about this until I read Mr. Kohler's Final Fantasy V book. All right. There is a specific combination of character traits known for being an extraordinarily powerful combo. And I'm going to read from his book again. Magic Sword Dual Wield Scattershot. It requires a single character master the archer job to get the scattered shot, which fires four arrows at random targets that do half normal damage. Master the ninja job, which allows the character to dual wield weapons, and achieve at least some level of proficiency with enchanter, or, or Magic Knight, so that you can imbue your weapons with elemental powers in battle. What makes it work is that Scattershot doesn't just apply to bows and arrows. If it's learned and then used while the character has another job, they'll attack four times with whatever weapon they have equipped, doing half damage. But if they've mastered Ninja and equipped two weapons, they'll attack eight times. And if they've enchanted those weapons with magic, one single attack is the equivalent of casting one of those spells eight times in a row holy shit which is not a thing i knew until i read this book like i never figured that out in the game so essentially what that is it is the best example we're not going to be able to go through every different combination of things that's just a really great example in fact it's probably the most powerful one of how if you experiment with combining different abilities from all of these different jobs you can find crazy stuff like that that you otherwise might not have and and it probably without a guide would take a lot of people playing for a long time independently to figure that stuff out but they would figure out other things not quite as powerful but in a very similar way combining you know the, the word we've used before is customization you eventually get to the point where you can create all different mixed matches of roles that you would play. And we've drawn a lot of comparisons, I think rightfully so, to Dungeons and Dragons and Lord of the Rings because a lot of the inspiration clearly comes from those. But here's a big step toward Final Fantasy becoming their own thing because mages wielding multiple weapon attacks or magic attacks using the combination of archer, ninja, and magic is a very Final Fantasy idea. We've started at the very beginning with combining, whether it's Eastern and Western elements, and now we're moving away from Gygax and Tolkien and and some of these inspirations into an even more dramatic combination of things where if we were watching this in a modern animated setting or if it was just a modern video game or live action to see a ninja with a crossbow and magic abilities or a knight who is also a monk or or you know there's there's all kinds of these incredible combinations uh, people who uh, blue mages who will learn 
abilities from monsters, but they also have thief abilities so they can steal precious items. There's so many different crazy cool combinations. You essentially start to create a whole new universe of your own moving forward. Uh, so we've got a knight. The knight is one of the early classes you get. They're, they're pretty standard. They are pretty powerful. Uh, I like having a knight so I can have somebody in the front row who's got heavy armor and can deal heavy damage. I really like combining the knight with the ninja dual wield ability so we can have two swords and be dealing a lot of damage in, in addition to be able to take a lot of damage. A big scary knight. The monk is fine, but I think it's outclassed pretty fast. doesn't cost a lot to equip them, which is cool. And they do a lot of damage early game, but I find that for the most part, they fall behind as you move along. The thief. Thieves are always important because there are certain items you can only get if you can steal them off monsters. The Genji equipment in this game from Gilgamesh is a, one, a prime example. White mages. I always have a white mage. You need someone to protect and heal your, your party. Black mages. Black mages are, uh, again, essential, I think, because a lot of enemies have elemental weaknesses. And if you can exploit them, you can make your battles go a lot quicker. The bard. Oh, the bard. So all these other classes we've talked about, classic Final Fantasy, classic fantasy in general. The bard is a classic D&D class. However, in Final Fantasy V, there are two hidden talents, or what I think of as hidden talents. The Bard is not an especially strong class. They don't do a lot of damage, and their support abilities are... eh. But we've talked before about how some classes will really shine in specific situations. The Bard has a song called Requiem, and Requiem kills all the undead on the screen, no questions asked, easy peasy. So there are certain areas where all you will run into is undead creatures. You got a party full of bards, and you're golden, man. No problems. And that's a good way to level up and get uh, all your ability points quickly. Not all your ability points, but to accrue ability points quickly. They've also got a spell called Hero Song. So throughout both worlds, you will go into these various pubs and there will be a piano and you can go up to the piano and you can play it. And at first, Bartz plays very poorly. He's like playing poor scales and not quite getting it right. But the more you do it, the better he gets at it until finally he's playing like a piece by Debussy, I think. Anyway, the point is, then you will learn Hero Song. And Hero Song will raise all your characters' levels temporarily. So again... The Bard is not that great a class, except for in a very particular set of situations. And I think that's really cool, because one of my problems with the system for Final Fantasy III was that it felt like at the end of the game, you really just wanted ninjas and sages. But throughout Final Fantasy V, there are a variety of situations where you really do need to switch to a class that maybe you haven't used before, and so it's time to start building up that class. Even in our conversation of the first game in the franchise, I talked a lot again invoking Lord of the Rings about how it felt kind of neat where the Black Mage, because it was so rare to be able to use, your, your magic was so precious that you would oftentimes be useless until the very final dungeon. And it really gave you this sense that you had a very specific 
role to fill. And I think there's merit to that. But I also think there's merit to this try to be a jack of all trades, or at least try to be a jack of many trades and have characters serve multiple roles. And uh, that's a really interesting, again, getting out of those early tropes of you're the person who does all the damage, you're the person who does all the magic, you're the person who does all the defense. You start combining these things. You go, hey, you can do some status ailment things, but then there's also just going to be specific times when we really need you. And Bard also has a special place in my heart because all of these years later, Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn, I play as the Bard class, and it is just really taken the same fundamentals we're talking about here in Final Fantasy V and turned them into a far more nuanced and incredible thing where it, the ability to do buffs and debuffs is now essential in that game and people love it when there's a bard in the party because that means that you're going to be able to do things to both help your party and to hurt the monster over time or the enemy over time and then there's even an extension of this element that ira just talked about with bards learning songs that when you become a bard you are given a couple of instruments and just a couple of presses on your game controller you can play whatever actual notes you want. And I saw a video on our Twitter the other day of somebody in-game in Final Fantasy XIV playing a perfect rendition of Despacito on their harp. And I just... It's amazing the ingenuity that you can come up with when you allow people to do whatever they want and have that kind of creativity, or back to use the word again, the word of this game, customization. It all begins here. Bards are cool. Bards are life. <laughs> All right. Next on my list, we have the Blue Mage. The Blue Mage, I love the concept of the Blue Mage. I find them very difficult to use in Final Fantasy V because you've got to always have one and you got to, like, Figure out where the monsters are that are going to give you the abilities you want to learn. Most notably, Blue Mage can learn level 5 death, which means any enemies that are level 5 will death immediately. That is important because there's a basement in Castle Ball where there are these stone monsters that will come to life and attack the party. And there is a, a helpful citizen of Castle Ball who will tell you that these stone creatures will immediately die to the gold hairpin, which is the item that cures you of the stone status, the petrified status. So you can take your golden hairpins and go down there and kill these creatures. And that's fine. But they are also of a level that is a multiple of five. So if you've got the blue mage level five death, you can kill them with one casting of one spell. And they give you a lot of ability points. Like most monsters are giving you one, maybe two if you're lucky, these monsters are giving you five. So with four or five hours of work, you can get all the ability points you will ever need in Castle Ball. Blue mages are cool. Blue mages are cool. Hey, Drew. Hey, Drew, do you know who my favorite blue mage is? I do, because you said it on the other podcast. It's Mega Man. Mega Man. I'm sticking by great that answer. one. I, I like That's that a lot. Answer. Good but I think they, they knew they had a pretty good concept here in Blue Mage that could be explored much deeper, which is why there's a specific area of the next game devoted to learning 
monster magic, and there are three characters who can do it. So they, they knew it was a fascinating concept, and they were determined to explore it further. So we get the Time Mage in this game. I like the concept of a Time Mage. I don't use them much, except for that I think Haste is an amazing spell. They're, they're, they, yeah. yeah, they get Haste, they get Slow, they get Meteors. We talked about them being space-time mages. Again, neat concept. I didn't use it a lot. The Red Mage. I love me some Red Mages, but in Final Fantasy V, they feel severely underpowered. They don't get as many spells. They don't get as many magic points. They don't hit as hard. I love the versatility, but... It's kind of outclassed when you've got three other characters. Like, you can just have four characters be the best at whatever it is they're doing, as opposed to one character who is not quite as good as anybody else. Yeah, I think they discovered they needed to update the idea a little bit or, or power it up a little bit. Red Mage was a lot more useful when you had a fixed four-character group and that you couldn't combine jobs. But now everybody, in a way, is kind of a Red Mage, so... <laughs> The Summoner. Uh, the Summoner does not play as big a storyline role in this game as it did in Final Fantasy IV, because it would be hard to. But it's worth remembering again that uh, Hiru becomes the phoenix that you can summon, and Sildra becomes a monster you can summon. There's a, a nice little sort of side story where you rescue Golem from a bunch of undead. So yeah, the, the Summoner does what the Summoner does, calling upon the powers of the great deities to basically be a better black mage. Yeah. More Again, if ever there was a job, and this is going to be still true for the next several Final Fantasy games, where it's your reward is you're actually just unlocking cool artwork and animations to watch and enjoying the work of either Yoshitaka Amano or Kazuko Shibuya, uh, it's Summoner. You, you summon so you can see something cool show up. And like you said, it's... In pragmatic world, it's no different than a powerful black magic attack, but it looks cool and different. And it's it's amazing. I mean, just thinking back on it all, over all those years, how much time did we take to care about gathering, for example, all of the summon materia? Why? I want to see the animation, dude. The Dancer. The Dancer is, to me, a lot like the Bard, but less interesting. There is an attack called Sword Dance that the Dancer can learn. So if you can learn that, and then you can also get, I think it's the uh, the red shoes and the rainbow dress, your dancer will become quite powerful. But really, that's, uh, I mean, they're fine. I didn't use them much. The Berserker! The Berserker is another one of these classes that can kind of be broken. I'm fairly certain that Scattershot dual-wield elemental attack was kind of built into the game, even though... That the ability for the Freelancer to gain all the other abilities was sort of last minute. This one, I'm pretty sure, was accidental. And again, I'm going to read from Mr. Kohler's book, because this is not a thing I knew. There is a piece of armor called a Crown of Thorns that vastly increases a user defense, but lowers their magic ability and causes their HP to constantly drain. But, when equipped on a Berserker, usually with another accessory that counteracts the HP drain, something fascinating happens. Since the Berserker's magic stat is so low already, the negative 5 to magic sends the stat into negative number territory. The Super Famicom can't deal with negative numbers, so what happens is the Berserker's magic stat rolls from 0 to 255. Now, you've got the most powerful magic caster in the game, but they can't cast magic. Enter the Gaia Hammer. 
a weapon that has a good chance of casting the spell Quake on all targets. Equip that on the Berserker, and it's pretty much a bloodbath. Okay, first of all, that is also awesome. I'm generally not in favor of... I don't know, I shouldn't say I'm not in favor. If you want to break a game, break a game. If you want to figure out, you know, the quickest way through the battle system. If you want to do speed runs, you know, that would be good for stuff like that. And as I've been going back through and playing several of these games for the podcast, I've tried to figure out some quicker ways through them because I have played all these games before and I'm doing it more for story than for gameplay. So... I typically have just power leveled for a little while and then gone through. That's all the the old standby there. But even if unintended, I still think it speaks to the depth of the system that it allows you to do that. It's kind of like mods for PC. It is never it originally wasn't really intended, but they've been embraced over the years, especially after Counter-Strike, which was a, a mod of Half-Life, became one of the most popular video games ever, and it was just a, a mod of another game. But, you know, it wasn't intended, but still ended up being something pretty cool. This is not quite in that category for me, but I, I do think that it's just the number of different things that you can do, and this shows how, like, we've played this game multiple times, we didn't discover this stuff, and we weren't necessarily trying to but somebody and presumably more than just one person have gone out there and done that and been able to write a book about it that's how deep the level of customization is in this game next we've got our mystic knight this is the character that can enchant the weapons they use with various spells part of that super combo we were talking about earlier I really dig this as a concept, but I also find it a bit slow if you're just using it the normal way because you got to cast a spell on your weapon and then you got to attack with the weapon. And by then, my other characters have already done a couple of things and it feels like it just feels slow. It feels like it takes that extra round for, right. for not as good a payoff unless you're really getting into that combo territory. The Beastmaster is a pretty cool class. This is sort of your proto Mirage Keeper, proto Pokemon class. They have this little gourd thing that they can use to entrap enemies that are low on hit points and then release the, the enemies to deal a particular set of attacks on their next action or, or in the next combat. I want to point out that the outfit of the Beastmaster is basically uh, a sheep furry costume. <laughs> they, they've got these little woolen vests uh-huh. and, and horns on their heads. and Yeah, they look like they're dressed up as sheep. It's kind of goofy. Uh, I think this could have been a really cool class if you could have done more with the captured monsters other than capture them and let them go. But again, like most of the other classes, there are specific cases where using this class is especially important. In order to get the Catoblipus Summon, you've got to be able to... I, I can't remember what exactly it is, but having a particular monster and then releasing the monster so it casts whatever spell you need to counteract the Catoblipus paralyzing the entire party... Uh, that that's really the only way to get that summon. So again, I really appreciate that there are niche opportunities to use. In fact, niche requirements to use every class. Absolutely. And again, another idea that would be made better and better in future iterations. Next, we've got the Geomancer still looking like blue Santa, though sometimes bluish green Santa. I like the Final Fantasy <laughs> Tactics design significantly better. Yeah. The... The combat abilities of the Geomancer are fine, 
Uh, what I really like about the Geomancer is that they can see pitfalls, they can walk on lava, they get you around a map filled with traps much, much quicker and much easier. The Ninja, the Ninja is always awesome. That dual wield ability is absolutely one of the most important abilities in the game. The Ranger is uh, fine. You can attack from the back row. You, I, I think they let you... Yeah, you can call on animals. It's like a minor summoner ability, which is fine. Again, probably more of a neat reward for getting to see the art than it is for pragmatics in battle. Right. The, the It's called Scattershot in, uh, in the translation. So I should make it clear. Chris Kohler, who wrote this book, was one of the first people to do an online FAQ for Final Fantasy V, and he and some buddies did that early translation. So you could you could follow along his translation and play the game in Japanese. So that he called it Scattershot, and that the, uh, the official guide I'm looking at calls it Rapid Fire. Like, to be fair, it's not like his names are wrong. His names are the names he and his friends were able to translate. Right. And I'm pretty sure I read that guide back in college. That's awesome. The chemist the chemist is fine. The chemist can mix and match various items. What the chemist is really good at is if you get dark matter and you combine it with another item I can't remember off the top of my head, it immediately casts death. It's fantastic. It also makes your potions and stuff work better, which is cool, but being able to suddenly cast death out of nowhere is fantastic. The Dragoon... Dragoon does what Dragoon does. It jumps. It's got lances. It looks badass. Not the most uh, efficient, effective class in the game. But still looks cool and I still like it. Samurai is great. The Samurai has the Zenyagi ability, which throws your money away but deals massive amounts of damage. Which is awesome if you've power leveled and, and just run around like experimenting with things because by the end of the game you'll have a ton of extra cash from beating up monsters and then you can just dispense it with reckless abandon and the mime or the mimic which just allows you to mimic an ally's action that they that they've already done which can be useful if you're casting powerful spells and you don't want to pay for it twice i really again this is another class i like the concept of the execution I'm sure, again, not an expert in breaking this game. I'm sure there are people who can make that work far better than I could. But I've never found it especially useful. And then we've got the last four classes that I don't know very well. The Cannoneer, the Gladiator, the Oracle, and the Necromancer. The Cannoneer is sort of a pirate-looking class. They have guns. They shoot their guns. You can combine different types of ammunition to, to fire different kinds of uh, attacks. The gladiators are just uh, all-out physical attackers. The oracles, they, they can predict. They can look into the future and like predict bad things for the bad guys. Uh, and it also helps them evade enemies. They have the read-ahead ability, which makes it so that you're not attacked. And then the necromancer is kind of like a blue mage in that you learn abilities from things you have killed. Yeah, so if they deal the finishing blow to a specific enemy... They can learn a dark art associated with that enemy uh, and then use that dark art, which is uh, whatever that special ability is. It's worth noting, though, that they are considered undead, so you can't heal them the way you normally would. And so, yeah, those are the classes of Final Fantasy V and some of the interesting gameplay that can result from them. 
So yeah, it is sometimes easy to dismiss the narrative of Final Fantasy V as being thin. It is sometimes easy to think of the main characters as a bunch of boring nobodies. Now, I think we have refuted that in the last few episodes, but I think we also need to make sure that we, even though we're not experts in the gameplay, that you and I celebrate the gameplay because it is so cool, even if you're not an expert, even if you're a, a scrub like me. It's a lot of fun. Like you said, tooling around in the menus, like trying to figure out if I can just get enough ability points to get Bart's the dual wield. He can have heavy armor as a knight and dual wield as a ninja. Or the more of these abilities I learned, the much better it's going to be when I go back to the freelancer class and have all these abilities all at once. Like I can, I can see the traps because I'm also a geomancer and I can dual wield because I'm a ninja and I can enchant all my weapons because I'm a mystic knight and I can, and I can, and I can. Yeah, because we are not experts in video games, not that we're really experts in anything else, but we have oftentimes used the mark of great art standing the test of time and applied that to the stories or the characters or the music as, as well we should, and I think that really is still the hallmark of Final Fantasy, but I think inarguably the gameplay of Final Fantasy V has stood the test of time. And for me, and, and you're less inclined to rank things, so you, so you can either agree or disagree or, or remain neutral on the following statement, but as much as I enjoy many other games in the series more, playing Final Fantasy V to me is more fun at this point, going back over it, then four, six, seven. I'm going to skip one and say nine, and people are going to find that really interesting. There's a lot going on in eight, and we'll eventually get there. I'm also skipping ten. I really love ten's battle system. Tactics I would put over five, but not, you know, twelve or 13 probably. 15 is a whole other different thing that we'll talk about when we get there. But if you're just looking purely from a gameplay perspective, this is a top three or four in the franchise game for me. And that's including, you know, tactics being very near the top. Uh, 10, I adore the battle system in that game and everything that you can do with it. But yeah, and then eight, you know, it's it's in the conversation with me. Well, we'll talk about that and junctioning and everything, but I'll take it over the materia system. I like the Esper system, but it's not as deep and nuanced as this. It's still fun to go back and play, but Final Fantasy V, anyone could pick up and enjoy the depth of if they're even remotely interested in the sort of traditional active time battle Japanese role-playing system. This might be the very best one of those that's ever existed. Well, I will neither agree or disagree with that, but I will tell you that Chris Kohler thinks so, the guy who wrote that book. He says that even though Tactics and 10-2 take a pretty good crack at this system, that the Final Fantasy V system is deeper and more interesting, at least to him. Certainly, I really enjoy playing with it, but I also, I also worry a little bit that I'm not using it to its fullest. You know, you ever... You ever done a thing and you're like, yeah, I'm having fun with this, it's interesting, but I'm a little worried that I'm not getting out of it as much as I could. 
Yeah, Final Fantasy twelve. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I dig this. I dig the gameplay of Final Fantasy five. I love all the classes. Big thumbs up from me. Yeah, me too. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and thank you to everyone who's reached out to us. Feel free to let us know what we missed, got wrong, or should have mentioned. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at FFWeeklyPod, or you can email us at FinalFantasyWeekly at gmail.com. Join us next time when we go home sweet home, meet some dear friends, and battle on the big bridge. <laughs> <laughs>